This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Every year, we put together a series of conversations suggested by you. For today's show, the topic is professional wrestling. Here's Ray, who listens to WFYI in Indianapolis. Hey, 1A, I actually was kind of joking when I suggested pro wrestling as a topic for your show, and I was surprised to hear that you had chosen this as a topic, but I'm so glad that you did. I've been a wrestling fan since I was six years old. And pro wrestling is extremely misunderstood. Like Ray, millions tune in to watch vicious beatdowns, including on the first day of the new year when a surprise guest showed up at WWE's Monday Night Raw match in San Diego. What the rock is cooking! The crowd was electric. The wrestler turned actor Dwayne The Rock Johnson traded blows with another wrestler, Jinder Mahal. But wrestling is about so much more than just the physical. Why are you so angry? Angry all the time. If The Rock had to guess why you're so angry, it's probably because nobody likes you and you're not funny. As a matter of fact, if you were one of The Rock's movies, you would probably be Baywatch. Thankfully, thankfully, I've never seen Baywatch. Well, nobody else did either. Shut your mouth when The Rock is talking to you. It's about the crowd work, yes, but also rivalries, characters that last decades, and a never-ending saga of good versus evil. It's also big business. WWE, the largest wrestling company, sold for $9.3 billion last year to the Hollywood conglomerate Endeavor. And some of you are watching. This is Jim in Richmond, Virginia. Back in the 60s on black and white TV, it was all the same tricks that you see today, the chair over the head and the tying up of the wrestler between the ropes. I used to watch it with my grandfather on Sunday afternoons. He called it the grunt and groan party, and we just loved it. The only wrestler I remember of that, of that, from that time is Bearcat Brown, but um, I guess you could say it's kind of timeless, huh? Thanks for that message. Now, chairs over the head are now banned in most pro wrestling matches. We'll talk about that, plus the history of African-American wrestlers like Bearcat Brown. He helped integrate wrestling in the 1960s in the South. So why is Americans' love of wrestling, in our caller's words, timeless? And what can we learn about the U.S. by looking at the industry? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. 
There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Joining us now is professional wrestler Foxy Fierce. She fights for WOW, Women of Wrestling, and she joins us from Los Angeles. Foxy, welcome to 1A. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, a big part of professional wrestling are the personas of the wrestling. Who is Foxy Fierce? Yeah, so I think of Foxy Fierce as a sort of 70s disco queen, very uh, Pam Greer inspired. Uh, So with the name, I have two parts to it. The Foxy, which is that femininity, that grace, that fun, and then the Fierce, which is that strength, power, and tenacity. Uh, So yeah, combining those things to show that uh, they're not mutually exclusive. How did you develop this persona? Yeah, it was it was definitely a collaborative effort. Um, I think the biggest thing was taking inspiration from my life as it already is. So um, I before I got into wrestling, I was doing a lot of professional roller skating stuff, and I was really into um, the '70s history and aesthetic, and like I mentioned, Pam Greer. So it was kind of a natural evolution of that. Now, nearly every professional wrestler has a catchphrase. Acknowledge me. This is for all the women who want to be me and for the men who come to see me. Kansas City, what do you want to talk about? What's the lock with the lion? This is my house. And you can't teach that. So those are some iconic wrestling phrases. What's yours? Yeah, so I have two. Um, One of them is doing it with style, grace, and not a hair out of place. And then the other one uh, harkens back again to that 70s theme and aesthetic, which is I'm a whole lot of woman. What do you enjoy about professional wrestling, both in the ring but also outside of it? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I enjoy is just the fun and the love of getting to move your body in a really dynamic way. Um, I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life, so the opportunity to to take all of that experience and have it culminate into just this really um, larger-than-life physical activity, it's just, there's nothing like it. It's an amazing experience. Um, and then I just, I, I think I also really love the kind of confidence that it gives me in my daily life as well. Um, you know, it's wonderful to be able to go do that in the ring and then walking through life and seeing that that power is still with me. Foxy, you mentioned that you were an athlete. You've been an athlete your whole life. What types of experiences trained you for what you do inside the ring? Yeah, so I dabbled in a lot of different sports. And Although I consider myself or considered myself an athlete throughout my life, I was never necessarily, uh, you know, Foxy known for this sport. But I I dabbled a lot. I did some gymnastics. I did soccer, track, cross country. I did some cheer at one point. Um, I'm a certified yoga and acro yoga instructor. So it's just really sort of run the gamut, just me exploring movement in different ways. Well, let's hear a bit of one of your recent fights. In this 2022 match, you were up against wrestler Ice Cold. 
Now it's time for action as the wild bell rings. And here we go. We're underway. They lock up in the center of the ring. Foxy Pierce has ice cold in the headlock. What is your training regimen for this work? Yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, We train typically five days a week, sometimes more. Um, And that includes a lot of conditioning, um, certain drills. And then, of course, the training that I do um, on my own as well, whether it's strength training or just maintaining um, my conditioning, doing the other sports that I love. And what is your recovery regimen? Sometimes it includes an ice bath, a lot of stretching, um, you know, heating pads, all all types of different things. Uh, You researched the history of black women in wrestling to help develop your persona. What did you learn? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing I took away is that uh, there have been black women, African-American women doing this uh, much longer before than I even thought. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that you really have to dig to find that information and that it's not readily available. But, you know, I was just really inspired to see that that history is there and that, uh, you know, there are people who paved the way. Are there particular women wrestlers who you look to and say, yes, if my career is like hers, I'll be I'll be happy? Yeah. um, Yeah. I think about a lot of those um, African-American women wrestling in like the 50s and 60s. So uh, Babs Wingo, Ethel Johnson, Marva Scott, uh, Kathleen Wembley, Ramona Isabella. uh, These were women who were in the industry back then when it was even more male dominated and it was very unusual for uh, women of color or black women to be in those spaces. And, you know, to research and hear about what they went through and the fact that they persevered nonetheless, it's just, it's really inspiring and it really keeps me going. Well, Foxy, I have to have to ask you, what led you to the ring? I, I'm trying to imagine that moment when you said, you know what, that's, that's the thing I'm going to do next. <laughs> yeah, well, I watched wrestling as a kid with my older brother, um, And my older brother and my dad also did combat sports when I was younger, not wrestling specifically. But so I think growing up in that way and seeing that kind of already made me open to the idea. And so I did forget about it for a few years, I guess, because, you know, as uh, as a young girl or woman, you kind of trained or conditioned to focus on other things, perhaps more traditionally feminine activities. But uh, as I got older, uh, I saw this information about WOW and they were having tryouts and they were looking for athletic women. And it reminded me of that love that I had for wrestling as a kid. And I just thought to myself, hey, you know, let's let's see. I'm an athletic woman. Let's give it a try and just see what happens. Um, And here I am. And as you think about the coming years of your career, do you have any particular goals you want to achieve? Yeah, I I love being at WOW and uh, focusing on my journey here at the moment. And I really would love uh, a, a chance at the championship title. So uh, I think that's one of my biggest goals, but also to just continue to explore my athletic ability to uh, to be an inspiration to other women and to young girls to show them that you know, no matter where you come from and no matter what people might tell you, you can always go after your dreams and do what uh, makes your heart sing. 
That's Foxy Fierce. She's a professional wrestler with WOW, Women of Wrestling. Foxy, thanks for speaking with us and good luck in the ring. Thank you so much, Jen. I appreciate it. Coming up, we learn more about the history of professional wrestling with two experts. We'll be back in just a moment. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Professional wrestling sits at a unique intersection between sports and performance art. Wrestlers are actors, but also athletes. It's predetermined who will win, but there's always room for improvisation. Joining us now to dig deeper into the world of professional wrestling are two experts. With us from Trumbull, Connecticut, is Brian R. Solomon. He's a pro wrestling journalist, podcaster, and author. His most recent book is called Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. Brian, welcome to the program. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. Also with us from Buffalo, New York, is Arrow Lane. He's an associate professor and chair of the Department of Theater and Dance at the University of Bu- at Buffalo, the State University of New York. He's also the author of Professional Wrestling and the Commercial Stage. Arrow, it's great to have you. Wonderful to be here. So both of you turned your personal interest in wrestling into professional interest, and that goes back to when you were kids. Brian, I'll start with you. How did you first become a fan? Oh, boy. Well, I first became a fan when I was about 12 years old, and it was kind of this period where wrestling was really taking over the country. This would be the mid to late 80s, so you had Hulkamania and WrestleMania just getting started, and all the kids in school always used to talk about it, and I never paid a ton of attention to it until they did this amazing uh, storyline in 1987 where you had Andre the Giant, who was Hulk Hogan's best friend and one of the most popular good guys, and he turned bad, which happens all the time in wrestling, but Andre had never done it. And so it was this huge conflict between these two larger-than-life characters, and I remember just getting sucked in. I didn't really know what it was or what it was all about, but it pulled me in, and I've pretty much never stopped since for about you know 35 years now. Well, as you said, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant's wrestling rivalry was a pop culture phenomenon in the 1980s. Look at the size of the Giant. I mean, Hogan is 6'8". Andre is seven foot five. The bell is gone. This one is officially underway. Look at the look of disdain on the face of Andre. Errol, what do you remember loving about professional wrestling when you first became a fan as a kid? I mean, I think it's the same things that 
are attractive in studying professional wrestling and that it's that really fine blend of uh, theatricality and sports. Um, I mean, I just remember as a kid trying to figure out, is this real, is this not real? And um, that's something that occupied quite a few conversations and I think still does. Well, Russell in Michigan emailed this. I'm a lifelong fan of wrestling and run a popular TikTok wrestling account. I believe wrestling has become more mainstream because there is more available thanks to new promotions like AEW competing against mainstays like WWE, as well as the internet exposing more matches and talents than ever before. There is a lot of tribalism among the fan base that can make enjoying the art troubling, but I think we're in a new era of professional wrestling that a mainstream audience can love. Uh, We talked about the famous wrestling rivalry between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. And it's part of this long saga of good versus evil that plays out in the ring. Arrow, tell us more. Well, yeah, I mean, at the core of a wrestling event is uh, the fact that there's a conflict. And that conflict has to be resolved um, because of the structure of wrestling through a physical fight. And so going back to early 20th century, there uh, has been a development of these sort of narratives that create a good guy and a bad guy, a face, a baby face, and a heel. And this, in the end, is uh, what people show up for, because there's always going to be someone to cheer for, and there's always going to be somebody to boo for, boo at. Well, let's hear again from Ray, who suggested today's topic. For years, the trope about wrestling is that fans did not understand that it wasn't legitimate sport. We've always known that. We simply respect the fact that people would literally put their lives on the line every time they climb into the squared circle for the express purpose of our entertainment. And the reason it's entertaining is the same reason that Stranger Things is entertaining, that Euphoria, The Walking Dead, pick your favorite show, the reason those are entertaining. The reason that I prefer pro wrestling is that even the best book in the world will never be able to give you a high five. The best movie in the world will not directly respond to you if you cheer or boo a character on the screen. And unlike the most realistic reality show, if you're in the right place at the right time at a pro wrestling event, the show will literally land in your lap and you become part of the show. No other form of entertainment, no other performance art does that. Ray says that all the fans understand professional wrestling as a staged, choreographed form of entertainment where it's determined ahead who will win, but that might not be the case. This is Jeanette in Atlanta. My father from the 1950s to the 70s loved going to live wrestling matches in Atlanta. I began reading and hearing about wrestling on the news, that it was entirely choreographed, but I couldn't convince my dad of that. He completely enjoyed the mystique of it. Thanks for that message, Jeanette. Brian, how does the industry walk this line between reality and fiction, especially when so many viewers are kids? Right. So one of the most unique things about pro wrestling is the fact that it does that. You know, we can compare it to movies and TV shows. But when you watch other TV shows and movies, they're not actively trying to convince you that what you're watching is real or genuine, whereas even today in pro wrestling, there is an effort to do that. Like, for example, there are major wrestlers like John Cena is a great example that comes to mind who performed using their real name, you know, so there was this blurring of the line between who is the character and who is the real person, and sometimes aspects of their personal life 
will be woven into the storylines and the characters. So there is this effort to do that. I think nowadays the fans are much more clued in. You know, in the business they call it being smart, quote unquote. They're much more clued into the nature of it. I think in the past there definitely was a certain percentage of the fan base, not of the public at large maybe who didn't follow wrestling, but of the fan base itself who did genuinely believe in what they were seeing. I mean, I was in those crowds as a child, and there are stories in in the older days of fans getting so worked up that sometimes riots would break out or sometimes fans would try to get at the wrestlers if they were making them angry or, you know, try to hurt them even. And that's not going to happen if you don't believe what you're watching is legitimate. So those things don't happen anymore because the fan base is a little, like I said, they're kind of in on the act more. But there, but there always have been in the past a certain element of fans who really did believe in what they were seeing. Maybe a minority, but there was a segment. We heard from Charlie in Washington, D.C., who emails, In the 90s, I had a job hosting American entertainers who came to Japan to perform on the U.S. military bases over there. A tour of professional wrestlers came through, and at one point I had the opportunity to watch two of them rehearse. I was their only audience. The rehearsal struck me as almost identical to two actors intelligently rehearsing a play. Calm, measured, negotiated, and efficient. The next day I saw the same pair perform the match they'd been rehearsing. Loud, animated, scary, and utterly convincing. Errol, you you lean into this idea of wrestling being at the intersection of athletics and performance art. Explain the performance art piece of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that story. It's um, such a wonderful example of wrestlers working together. Uh, because at the, at the heart of a wrestling match, uh, you have two people who actually need to care for each other. Um, there's an attention to the other that is absolutely necessary because what wrestlers do is dangerous. Um, and so we often think about wrestling in terms of the theatrical overlay of it, right? The, the characters, the storylines, uh, the costumes, all of this. Um, but in the end, this is... Um, it's a, it's a form of theater. Um, it's scripted entertainment with people playing characters uh, and performed in front of a live audience. And you compare it specifically to musical theater. What connections do you see there? <laughs> well, I think the, it's an interesting comparison in, the, in that the economies or the business models are quite similar in that uh, both wrestling and uh, musical theater or theater at large, they're, they're live. So they need an audience to show up in that actual place. Um, and that's something that musical theater has um, overcome through touring, something wrestling has overcome through touring and streaming. Um, but in the end, we have a, a sort of company of performers with a devoted fan base um, and a repertoire of uh, moves and songs. We've been talking about American professional wrestling. Errol, how global is this industry? Uh, professional wrestling is a global industry. Um, and you can look to um, a few countries that have really rich traditions, uh, Japan and Mexico in particular. Um, but really, uh, I think if you go to just about any country, uh, you're going to find professional wrestling. Hmm. Well, we're going to head to a quick break here. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. 
So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. My name is Avi. I don't see a lot of movies and theaters anymore since the pandemic, but I went to see Iron Claw on opening day because I grew up loving wrestling and knowing everything about the Von Erich family. Uh, It's a great movie. I was absolutely sobbing at the end, and I totally recommend it. It was definitely worth seeing in theaters. The Iron Claw stars Zac Efron, Jeremy Allen White, and Maxwell Jacob Friedman as the Von Erich brothers. The movie premiered in theaters on December 22nd, and it's inspired by the real-life professional wrestling family. The Von Erichs are the greatest family in the history of wrestling. Brian, who were the Von Erich brothers? Well, the Von Erich family, the brothers and their father, Fritz Von Erich, they really dominated one of those kind of regional territories. In fact, they're a great example of it, and that movie really illustrates how that system worked. But uh, their territory was located in kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. And their father, Fritz, uh, his real name was Jack Atkinson. That was the family name, Atkinson. He was a wrestler who had turned promoter. And he ran that whole circuit in Texas. And his sons, he basically turned them all into wrestlers. And he made them, as many promoters would do in those days, he made them the stars of his promotion. Now, a lot of times that would fall flat with some of the companies where they would try to push their kids on the fans in a way that really wasn't warranted. Maybe they didn't have the skill or the charisma. But in the case of the Von Erichs, they were the exception to that rule. I mean, they were bona fide stars. They were among the most popular wrestlers in the country, especially or in the world, especially David, Kerry, and Kevin. Uh, but but all of the brothers uh, wrestled at certain points in time. This would be in late 70s through the 80s, really. Movies have been inspired by professional wrestling many times. There's the 2008 film The Wrestler starring Mickey Rourke, uh, the 20, 2006 comedy Nacho Libre starring Jack Black, Errol, why do you think the industry is so rich for, for adaptation and storytelling? I mean, it is, um, it's the ability to see backstage in a way. And that's always an interesting story, is what's happening behind the scenes. And that's baked into pro wrestling itself, right? The idea that there's always something happening behind the scenes. And that's something that wrestling fans understand. It's also something promoters understand um, and really leverage in order to create an interesting storyline. There's actually a Pulitzer-nominated play about wrestling. It's called The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity. Errol, what is that play about? Uh, That play is about uh, the character Mace, who's a a wrestler, um, who is uh, trying to navigate the wrestling industry as um, as a wrestler who is not a star, but is rather uh, the talent that is there in order to put the stars over. Um, And so that is, I mean, if you're looking for a sort of primer on pro wrestling, I'd recommend reading The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity or going to see a production. Um, It's just a wonderful show where Mace is our main character and he walks us through um, 
the wrestling business. There's frequent asides, so he's in the middle of conversations and just sort of um, steps out and tells us what's happening in the wrestling business. Well, the 2008 film The Wrestler tells the story of a former wrestling star who continues to perform despite failing health. He even suffers a heart attack after a match. According to a 2014 study by 538, 20% of former WWF athletes are dead by ages 50 to 55, compared to just over 5% of the general population. Brian, what, what concerns have been raised over the years about the danger of this work? Well, thankfully, it's something that's gotten better in more recent years. But for a long time there, it really looked like it wasn't and nothing was going to be done. And there really was what amounts to an epidemic, I would say, from the late 80s all through the 90s, even into the early 2000s of that happening. Uh, wrestlers under the age of 50, under the age of 55, and in much greater proportion than in other fields of endeavor and other sports. And it wasn't really being looked closely enough at because the attitude of many people, politicians and otherwise, is, well, it's just wrestling. Who cares? And then, unfortunately, what it took was enough of those deaths to pile up. And, in fact, in a couple of cases, people who were very high profile, who worked for WWE and who had been on television at the time, you know, that that who were one of the elite performers in the business to die, a couple of them being Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, where the the awareness of things like CTE as well as performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, recreational drugs, and how rampant they were running in the business, uh, how much of a problem that was. And so there are – it is a much better industry than it used to be in that regard. WWE, for example, has – wellness policies in place, which really, truly have made a difference in this kind of thing. And if you look at the numbers, it bears it out that you just, you don't see uh, the kind of casualties that we used to see even as recently as 10, 15 years ago. Well, we're hearing from lots of you. Joel emailed, I got into professional wrestling after a bunch of my friends did. At first, I wasn't interested, but after actually watching it, I was immediately hooked. One thing I'd love to hear about is the history of LGBT people in wrestling, not only among the wrestlers themselves, but among the fan base, too. Arrow, is that something you can speak to? Um, Yeah, well, I mean, if you're thinking about the recent history, Darren Young uh, would be a wrestler that comes to mind who was the first openly gay wrestler in WWE. Um, the company and Young have parted ways since. Um, and then Pat Patterson, um, who was really integral to WWE uh, for some time throughout its history, um, has published a book and um, has been quite vocal about his work as a gay man in the industry. Brian, how is the history of professional wrestling intertwined with the history of TV? Well, TV really changed the business and defined it in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't even know if wrestling would still exist today without television. I mean, it had existed before television, but what TV did is, like it did with so many things, it brought it into everybody's homes. You know, it created what you might call the casual wrestling fan, whereas in the past, you had to buy a ticket, you had to go to the arena, you had to be invested to that degree, whereas now you could just turn on the TV at home and watch, and you might be persuaded to buy a ticket and go to see it live, but it broadened the audience. It also accentuated the colorfulness of it, the, the, the characters. You know, you needed more than just to be a convincing athlete. You really needed to have a distinct persona and you very often needed to be able to talk now because it was television you had to give a promo you had to promote yourself 
you had to, you know, as the wrestlers would like to do, kind of threaten your opponent and do all that colorful stuff that they're known for. You know, that didn't happen before television. And so it kind of weeded out a lot of people, similarly to how, like, in the history of cinema, when you had talkies come in, you know, in the 20s, there were a lot of people that were left out in the cold because they, they really weren't up to the task of talking. So there, there was a new tool that had to be in the toolbox of any successful wrestler, which was the ability to talk. And for those that couldn't, they invented a new type of character, which was the wrestling manager, who would be somebody who didn't wrestle, but he was sort of like the representative of his wrestler. And, and, if, the, and if the wrestler couldn't speak for themselves, he might do the talking and, and be a colorful character in his own right. So TV created all of that. We got this message from Eric in Ann Arbor, Michigan. One aspect of wrestling that concerns me is the simple-mindedness of it all. There are the good guys and bad guys, the faces and the heels. True life is much more complicated with many shades of gray, full of imperfect choices and compromises and a lot of nuance. I worry that regularly reinforcing this simplistic worldview enables it to extend to other aspects of viewers' lives, such as politics, where the stakes are much higher and lives hang in the balance. Relatedly, it seems to me that wrestling is far more popular within politically red areas of the country. Has anyone studied sociological spillover of wrestling and links with political views? Brian, I'll come to you on that one. Sure. You know, there actually was a book which dealt with this very recently. It was a biography of Vince McMahon, the, the former owner and, and uh, the, the uh, director, the chairman of WWE, and uh, by an author named Abraham Josephine Reisman, who I've had on my own podcast, and in her book, she talked about the parallels, exactly that, between wrestling and the rise of wrestling and what we see in politics and with the, with the kind of thesis being that uh, there are certain politicians who might take – and I think Trump is specifically mentioned prominently in the book as somebody who, who might take their cues from the world of wrestling and how to get yourself over and how to – benefit from the tribalism, which does exist not just in wrestling, but as we see thanks to social media to a certain degree, it exists across all spectrums of, of life nowadays, this kind of, uh, you know, everything's a team sport. And so in some ways, there, there have been people who have drawn those, those parallels between wrestling and real life, because yes, wrestling can often be a very simplistic drama. But I think conversely, I would say that I think that's one of its greatest appeals to people who in their entertainment or in their escape, they might be looking for something that can provide an escape that is a simple good guy versus bad guy uh, setup. And, and I don't think, you know, it's not fair to, to dismiss those people for wanting that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they are simplistic people or that in their everyday life they, they only view life in, in good versus bad or black versus white and that kind of thing. I, I think in some ways wrestling is the outlet for people rather than the, the thing that defines them. Our listener who suggested today's show said the public has a lot of misconceptions about professional wrestling. Brian, what misconception do you hope we corrected today? Oh, boy. Well, I guess like what I was just trying to talk about before, I think there can sometimes be a misconception that pro wrestling fans or pro wrestling itself is just something to be dismissed and it's dumb and its fans are, you know, uh, unintelligent and those kind of stereotypes. And, you know, I'm living proof. I like to think that that's not true. And I, and I was taught to love wrestling by people that I respect. 
that were intelligent, cultured people. And I, I think just like in any other form of life, you're going to see certain segments that might live up to the stereotypes, but by and large, those stereotypes should not dictate how people view the industry and its fans. That's Brian R. Solomon. He's a professional wrestling journalist and podcaster. He's the author of Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. Also with us, Arrow Lane, an associate professor and chair of the Department of Theater and Dance at the University at Buffalo, the State University of New York. He's the author of Professional Wrestling and the Commercial Stage. Arrow, Brian, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Avery Jessa Chapnick. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort, journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.